Welcome back, Bayside. Streaming only on Peacock. Can't wait to start junior year. Saved by the Bell is back. This is gonna be awesome. And taking school spirit. Our rivals just destroyed our mascot. We're gonna crush Valley. To the max. If we don't learn from the past, we are doomed to repeat it. That's why we have all these reboots of teen shows from the 90s. Get a new idea, Hollywood. Saved by the Bell. New season streaming now. Let's do this, baby. Only on Peacock. Welcome back, Bayside. They're taking school spirit. The fun's just getting started. To the max. This is going to be awesome. Saved by the Bell. New season streaming now. Let's do this, baby. Only on Peacock. It's still real to me, damn it. Everybody, welcome to this week's edition of the Still Realtor Show, episode number 586 for May 6th, 2021. I am one half the show. I am Jeff Peck, joined as always by my co-host, the one and only Dr. Troy Franklin. This is SRTU. Dr. Trey, you and I did not have a very uh, exciting pre-show conversation about how life sucks after 18 years old my friend yeah you know uh feel that life sucks and then you die I, I the positivity i mean we're coming out of a pandemic we just had an, uh, a a company do their own version of war games and meanwhile i'm just sitting here going man as you get older it sucks and then i'm hanging out with with my young son who's fighting off a hay fever cold and, uh, you know, we mentioned blood and guts. And the first thing he does is stand up on the bed and do a back bump onto his flat back. So I was very proud of him. Oh, and he landed on the bed, just like Chris Jericho yeah. did. Yes, he did. So there you go. I mean, you can't. Now, did you want to push him like MJF? No, no, because if I'm going to knock my son down, I'm going to do it much more violently than MJF did at Jericho. Okay. Yeah. Save it for the roof of the house. Whatever you do, yeah. Dr. Trey. I mean, Works each each person's different. Work for, work for Foley. Jump off the roof. Get a, get a contract. So I, I, I got a good bit of news here. I, I don't even think you you know this because I was interacting with this person on, on Twitter late last night. Uh, so, you know, started off here with, like, depressing news, but positive news for longtime listeners of the Still Realtor show. Um, the one and only UK still reached out to us on Twitter uh, wow. yesterday. Uh, so funny story that now that you mentioned that. You know I'm still an admin on his page, right? Are the wrestling's last hope. <laughs> yes, I'm still. I still like when I go over to my uh, one of my alternate Facebook accounts. Like I'm still, I get all the alerts saying that so and so has posted on this page. I'm still an admin on wrestling's last hope. 
So is that still active? I have no idea, Jeff. I, don't, I haven't read it in a few years, but just that you reminded me of Stu, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I do get these random Facebook alerts that, you know, somebody clicked like on the page or, you know, uh, post that, you know, like the, the, the posts that there are the, the messages that Facebook sends us about the SRTU page about uh, promoting certain posts. Mm-hmm. Like I get those Facebook alerts for Wrestling's Last Hope because I'm an admin on the page. So just to give you a brief SRTU history for those that are tuning in going like, what the hell are Dr. Trey and Jeff Pack talking about right now? Uh, UK Stew um, was like an original rotation uh, co-host. Like he was he was in those first 10 episodes of the Still Realtor show as we approach episode 600 now, 14 away from that. But I mean, he was part of the the, the initial launch back in uh, 2011, right, Dr. Trey? Or 2010, yeah, it was uh, so it was it was you and Eric, and then there was me, Stu, Brett, Benny Lopez, big time Benny, were the occasional fill-ins, and I always thought that if if Eric left, I was like the third choice, and that Stu was one of your top two because the British accent trumps anything I have ever said on this show. This is true. This is true. He was yeah. actually the very first person. That introduced me, obviously being from the UK, to uh, Pac. Pac. Ah, there you go. I thought you were going to say like Timothy Thatch. And the, I, I totally forgot about Pac being from the UK because he's been in the States so long. So. Yeah, he was talking about him and a uh, real good guy. He, he would promote the podcast for like the first couple of years that we were, were going on there. He had a website, Wrestling's Last Hope, uh, blogspot.com. I used to regularly say it here on the show during our yeah. during our. Uh, our plugs and sponsors. So really good to hear from him. It's good that he was uh, was checking in with us. It's kind of crazy looking at the, the numbers each and every week when I sit here. I have like a, a little notepad of what episode that we're on and, and approaching 600 episodes, twelve almost 11, well over 11 years now of doing the podcast. So it's really cool to run into uh, old friends of ours here on the show, uh, UK Stu. Maybe we'll have to reach out to him, Dr. Trey, and do like a reunion special. Yeah, by the way, thinking of Facebook and old friends, Baja Man's birthday was not too long ago. If you remember Baja Man from the old EA game show, the old uh, EA Sports game show. That's that's digging even farther back. What is that? Two thousand eight. That's the way, like when you and I first met. Oh, I think see, my Carmen was a baby, so like oh eight, oh nine. Yeah, so wow. like right in that range. And that's what helped uh, launch this very podcast. We've talked about that at at length here. The history of the Still Realtor show. And I'm sure we'll. Talk about it again here as we approach episode number 600 in the uh, coming weeks and months. Uh, Dr. Trey, let's get into it. Um, A name who was beginning this WWE career when we first began this very podcast was the one and only former Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan. Uh, According to reports, Daniel Bryan's WWE contract expired last week. He lost the match to Roman Reigns in a Loser Leaves SmackDown match uh, this past Friday. WWE is reportedly pushing hard to sign Brian to a new deal. Um, huge name to be out there on the free agent market, according to reports right now, Dr. Trey. What's next for Daniel Bryan? Is he WWE bound? Is he AEW bound? Is he New Japan, AEW, Impact Wrestling? Is he going to go on this tour that he's been talking about in interviews? What's next here for Daniel Bryan? First off, what do you think is next? And then what do you want to see next for Daniel Bryan? Um, it's, it's kind of the same. Like, like I, I am really hoping 
Um, and I'm thinking that we might get this tour thing because, you know, he's approaching the end of his career. I think we can all agree on that. You know, he's getting up there at age. He has a history of concussions. You know, one bad thing could kind of maybe end it again for him. So um, it, it's kind of like, you know, do you want to sit there and stay in the same lane you're in right now? Or, hey, do I want to get out there and test myself against some of these really young up-and-comers? Uh, put myself in the ring with, you know, does he go to New, you know, try and go to New Japan and work a match with Will Ospreay? Does he jump around the independence and see what else is out there? I mean, having a guy like Daniel Bryan float around the independence for a second, kind of scoping out in ring talent, wouldn't be bad if he does end up going back to WWE, you know, a few months from now. I think this is that chance for him to kind of maybe sow his wild wrestling oats. Um, and, and kind of get out there and, and get around and, and then maybe come back home into a producer role so he can kind of settle down and not be on the road. I think, I think you know, let him kind of get it out of the system so that way he knows. Because he, he wants to be home with his wife and kids, but he still wants to wrestle. Um, WWE lifestyle is not always conducive to that. So if he goes independent, he can work whatever shows he wants, whenever he wants, and he'll get paid very handsomely and then, when the wrestling career is done, he can come back to WWE and you know work in the PC and be a producer like he's kind of been doing on the side anyway. Uh, Daniel Bryan re- uh, recently turned forty. Uh, he's been talking about in a lot of interviews that his full time schedule career is is coming to an end. He's going to be more of a part timer. Um, I, I don't know. I, I agree with you. I'd like to see him get this out of his system, quote unquote, but. I don't think still in this weird gray area of the COVID-19 pandemic that we're going to get a reasonable farewell tour before going back to the WWE type thing from Daniel Bryan right now, Dr. Trey. Like, I I just don't think he pops up in ROH and makes the runs in a a Northeast schedule or pops up down in Jacksonville at Daly's Place to run, you know, a certain amount of time, what have you, or goes to New Japan and does a Wrestle Kingdom uh, I think the the pandemic is kind of throwing a monkey wrench in a bunch of that stuff. And I think we're more inclined to see Daniel Bryan take some time off for the next short while and then maybe make uh, a return come summertime. I would say back with WWE. I, I just think, and I've been wrong about this in the past, uh, I think he's a WWE lifer at this point. I think uh, the full-time schedule, I agree, is not conducive to his health. The part-time schedule in WWE, the uh, experiences, the opportunities that are before him, I think are more in line with what WWE is doing than anywhere else. To me, I think the only other company he could wrestle at, I could foresee him wrestling at, outside of WWE, is New Japan. I I don't think he's an AEW guy. Uh, Impact Wrestling, I I would write off. ROH at this point is a different ROH than from when he was there, a completely different ROH. Maybe he does some swings on independent wrestling scenes, but I can only see him popping up in New Japan outside of WWE, Dr. Try. I mean, it, it, it also depends. Here, So the Ring of Honor thing, would, would, for me, would be if somehow they were to swing a deal where Joe, like Samoa Joe and Daniel Bryan showed up at the same time. You know, for maybe a, like a special, you know, special show or, or final final battle or something like that just to just to have that you know kind of build on their legacy with a lot of their new crop i mean they have outside of jay lethal and the briscoes there's a lot of guys on that roster that people don't really know and if you could showcase them in a match with maybe the ogs of ring of honor 
that that would make a lot of sense to me. Uh, I'm with you. I don't think AEW is really his cup of tea. Um, I, I don't see him going to Impact because they're kind of focusing on younger talent and then just some you know fill in guys. Um, to me, if he goes anywhere, it would be to try himself in New Japan because I think that kind of fits his style and you know bounce around uh, some of the bigger independent scenes and, and kind of set your own schedule for a little while until you know. I, to me, I think he could still do a take time off, still do a couple independent shows here and there, so he doesn't get rusty, so he kind of stays in shape, makes a nice big payday, and then eventually come back to WWE. Because I'm with you, I think WWE is his home. They've taken very good care of him. They've taken very good care of his family over the years. Um, so I think he has a sense of loyalty to them. But I still think he wants to get out and, and try a couple things first before he kind of wraps everything up. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting spot, but I don't feel like this is when Dean Ambrose, John Moxley left WWE, and it felt like that uh, Moxley was probably bound to make a, a decent run outside WWE. I just feel like Daniel Bryan is is a uh, is a WWE guy, and I think what I've learned too when it comes to everybody always is like, oh, go to AEW, go to AEW, go to AEW. Let's take some of the the former WWE guys, like who've recently popped up, uh, Paul White, Christian Cage, um, Moxley. I feel like is different on this. Miro, I'll throw in there. Probably those three, and for the most part, up until recently, and I'll throw in Mister Brody Lee in this as well. I feel like out of those four, Mister Brody Lee got the the best push of them all. Um, Miro has been basically quiet, I feel like, since he debuted last July. Um, Christian Cage, kind of disappointed with his build so far. And Paul White's been nothing more than a than a commentator. So I don't think that um, these ex-WWE stars, which is what I was concerned about, looking more like Impact Wrestling, AEW's kind of doing the right thing where they're still pushing their homegrown talent and sprinkling in these higher-named stars that have now jumped over to AEW uh, in the coming weeks. But that doesn't mean that they immediately debut and then get a world title match like a week later. So I don't know, Dr. Trey, if Daniel Bryan would have a better career currently in AEW than he would in WWE, than he currently does in WWE. Yeah, I think there's a delineation mark between certain WWE, AEW talent, and then some other ones like, you know, the Moxleys, the Jerichos, and you can argue the Revival um, or, or FTR, however you want to word them, maybe got a bigger push because they're, I guess they're kind of like the first ones. I've seen and Brody Lee to a degree as well. And then the people that have come over since then have kind of been like, hey, you just got to find your spot and work your way up. I, I mean, like you said, Miro really hasn't done anything until like the last two weeks. Um, you know, Christian Cage has so far been like, okay, yeah, great. Big debut. Not much sense. Paul White doing commentary on their third brand show. Like it's way down the list. The, to me, the biggest difference is I think Daniel Bryan I mean, with the yes movement, I think it was, probably has a bigger name than all those guys we just mentioned outside of maybe Moxley. Um, so maybe he would be in a different tier if they brought him in than some of the other guys. But to me, I, if, if, if I'm Daniel Bryan and I can get a chance to kind of go out and name my own pricing and work my own schedule, that seems way better to me 
than going to AEW where the guys we kind of named were people that WWE had stopped kind of caring about outside of Moxley. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely interesting to see what happens next with Daniel Bryan, but definitely a top story here right now. Uh, the next chapter in the career of Daniel Bryan as we move forward. It's it's kind of cool that it's actually back in the ball's back in his court for because three, four years ago it was not even a thought. And here he is controlling his own destiny. And if he wants to have that dream match with Katsuchi Okada, he can. Or Tanahashi, he can. So cool stuff could be on the horizon here for, for Daniel Bryan. Where he ends up next is anybody's guess. Um, next thing here I want to talk about, Dr. Trey, on this week's edition of the show is uh, you mentioned it earlier on. Uh, AW Blood and Guts match took place last night. Uh, the AW announcers correlated the lineage back to War Games, even though it's not the War Games uh trademarked match or from WCW or WWE they were they had no bones about it about saying how it was basically a war games match uh the match itself very split on this i don't know what to think about this because i think when i look at recent war games matches the ones without the cage and NXT i loved uh team pat mcafee versus the undisputed era I loved uh, Team Shotzi versus Team uh, Candice LeRae on the women's side from NXT. I thought those two matches were better than Blood and Guts. Depending on where you sit on the entire thing, there are people who are shitting on the finish of MJF, lightly pushing Chris Jericho off the top of the cage to end the uh, end the show. Uh, some I'm kind of 50-50 on this. I, I liked the end angle for MJF because I felt like that was a career-defining moment for him in his young career that we look back on and say, when did he start crashing through that glass ceiling? That could have been it. A very, I felt like, um, memorable moment of the blood dripping down his face to close out last night's edition of AW Dynamite. The, the match itself, I, I don't know, man. I, I don't know how to feel about this. I, I don't think it was the best war games blood and guts match i've seen i like the the look of the structure but uh i don't know i guess i guess my hopes and expectations were rather high for this one dr trey i don't know how you feel about it pinnacle versus inner circle and pinnacle getting the win so the match itself i thought was okay you know like it, it didn't grab me like the two you mentioned plus i threw on their undisputed era against uh, team champa like, I love that match as well. Um, so it didn't grab me like those. And, and maybe that comes down to the booking style or the producing style. Like, to me, it was kind of, I don't want to say spot monkey heavy, but it was kind of like, hey, let's throw out every cool thing we've seen on cage matches and street fights in the last couple of years. You know, now the big thing is, hey, let's yank the mat up and the protective covering and, and get to the plot, get to the boards underneath the ring. Or underneath the mats. Uh, oh, the the double jump cutter that Sammy Guevara throws in there. The chair shots. I mean, those dudes were swinging them at the heads. We haven't seen head shots like that in a very, very long time. Um, but I don't know if it actually told a story. You know, and that's kind of... It just felt like kind of a big fight scene in a movie that nobody had built up to. Um, and the ending part... You know, like I'm literally watching, going, okay. I can literally see Jericho grabbing the blade to cut his head open. I can literally see them talking to each other before the push spot. 
I had literally like I'm watching the match and there's that spot on the cage where it had kind of a bumper area. And I'm like, that's where Jericho's going to go stand before MJF pushes him off because they've marked mm-hmm. that spot. Like they do stage acting, mm-hmm. like know your marks. And when the, the fall happens and you see the metal plates and then it just like disintegrates and you're just like, well, that's just like a piece of plastic you know, made to look like a metal covering. It just, it, it kind of killed, I don't want to say killed kayfabe, but it just killed the illusion of how damaging it was. You know, it's not like, it's not like when Canyon got thrown off the, the triple tier cage, mm-hmm. like that legit looked like it was dangerous or even go back to, uh, Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly just a few weeks ago, going through the ramp, like some of that stuff, you're like, wow, that's, that's kind of sketchy. That looked like the or, most protected fall of all time. Or Moxley and Mr. Brody Lee from double or nothing last yeah. year. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, or even go back to the uh, Omega Moxley barbed wire fall they had. Like that looked legit dangerous. Like that when Jericho landed and you see where you're That was the one from full gear. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 You know, but then you go like this match, you see Jericho hit, you see all the paramedics, everybody come rushing out and he's talking, his eyes are open. And then you see all the foam padding around him. You're just like, that's a stunt fall. That's what we see in, in the outtakes from action movies where the guy falls into the big air mattress. It just kind of ruined the illusion for me. Yeah, you know, I was going to bring this up, but I think you kind of led me. I, I was going to hold off on this. I, I, first off, I hated the camera angles all night long for yeah. Dynamite. I don't know what it, it just had a very weird look, not looking at a ring straight on. Um, and we've we've seen this in the past where WWE has had the NXT TakeOver matches and they've had two rings and the camera moves over to the right for the right side ring moves over to the left for the left side ring. And it's not shot at this weird angle. And I felt like there was those matches were shot at this weird angle. And granted they were shot, I guess, weeks ago. Um, you know, the stories out there right now that uh, Tony Khan and AW offered any of the fans refunds because the first hour was pre-taped and their crowd noise would be piped in, which was uh, a little bit strange as well. But see the camera angles early on in the, in the pre-taped show. And then later on, in the match itself, just they were strange. And I thought there could have been a better camera angle where you didn't see Chris Jericho directing MJF to push him off of the cage. I thought the push from MJF could have been a lot better um, and not looked as light. It just, all in all, it um, it wasn't great. It, it, I think that's probably it. And then there, there, it's the unnecessary blood still from AEW. I mean, wrestling fans some some of them want to see the blood and all that stuff but we're a little bit smarter now from a health standpoint and realize that these guys taking unprotected chair shots are not the greatest things in the world and we've kind of shot away from it like i think if WWE did a match like that people are crapping all over it, and aw gets kind of a pass because it's not as um mainstream as WWE is right now and according to reports, the, most of those shots were done the hard way and not by the blade job. Like I think uh, Gravara's was a blade job, but I think Cash Wheeler's, they said, was the hard way. Um, I don't know, man. It just it just felt off. And they had a phenomenal build into this match. Like I was super hyped to watch this match last night. I was very interested to see how the structure looked. I thought AEW did an awesome job 
like I said, to build up to it. The execution just wasn't there for me. And I hate to say that because uh, all 10 of those guys really put themselves on the line. But again, (laughs) here we are, right? For the second time in three months, Dr. Trey, AEW produces this really violent match and the finish takes away from what you saw where you're like, man, you know, remove remove the the suspicion that I have, remove the reality. I know what I'm watching. I know that this is, you know, uh, sports entertainment. This is professional wrestling. There's a stuntman aspect to this. But remove that from me. I, I know that exists. And I know that there's a level of protection these guys are getting. But don't, like, insult my intelligence like you did at the end of Revolution a couple months ago with the barbed wire match and kind of what you did at the end of Blood and Guts with poor camera angles, not a great push from MJF, and then landing into the foam pit. Um, like I expected when Jericho landed that like a bunch of balls would pop up like it's Discovery Zone. So, you know, it's tough. I really hate crapping on a match when 10 wrestlers put their bodies on the line as, as like those guys did. Uh, there are aspects of it, like I mentioned before, the closing segments, the visuals of MJF standing on top of the cage, blood dripping down his face, that I think are going to do wonders for his career going forward. And I thought the result was the right way with Pinnacle over in, Inner Circle than the other way around. But I do feel like when you look at the match itself, um, there's some aspects of it that are not all that memorable and, and kind of make you go, ugh, a little bit. So when you were talking about the 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 some of the stuff that WWE does, you know, you think of like uh, Shane and Miz and their falls cut anywhere match and that suplex off the lighting scaffolding, and then you see all the cardboard boxes they land on, and you're like, well, that's really piled up there, you know. It's like the the disguising of the landing spot was not well done in that instance, and that's how I feel about this. Like this to me reminds me of a Fast and the Furious movie. If that makes sense, like there's a lot of you know a lot of stuff going on, but at the end of it, you kind of feel empty. You're like, oh, I mean, that was it was entertainment, but you know, it's I'm not going to sit there and remember Fast and the Furious Four from Fast and the Furious Six. It's uh, that all kind of blends together. That's kind of how I feel about this. And then you put that on the heels of what happened with Omega and Moxley and in the Sparkler incident. It's like, well, now now can I trust this brand? to deliver on some of the things they hype up so much going forward that it's actually going to deliver because right now, I mean, in recent memory, they're, they're over two. I mean, really the last fun extravagant match I can remember is the stadium stampede match. True. Since then, every other gimmick match that they've kind of come up with that they, they hype up. We're left at the end of it going, oh, it is all right. I mean, and that's how I kind of feel when I walk up a fast and the furious movie. It was all right. That's about where it's at. Should this have been at uh, Double or Nothing or been uh, its own episode on AW Dynamite for the uh, free crowd? Because um, I do I, think, I, I'll, and I'll, I'll just add to that while you think, I thought the picture-in-picture stuff took away from the match. I think the timing of the picture-in-picture is what they need to work on. The timing of, and then they've had this issue since they launched. Like, you see Jericho, you see MJF climbing the cage and they go to picture in picture. I'm like, this is the worst time to go to picture in picture. This is the anticipation. Like, there's the chase. And you're going to picture in picture with no, you know, announcers selling what's going on until they come back from the commercial break. So we get two minutes of silence watching MJF, you know, try to get away from Jericho. Like, 
this is not the first time they have it. Their, their timing on their commercial cuts is, is horrible at times. Um, to me, I, I'm, I'm fine with their presentation being on dynamite. Uh, I mean, it had a crowd at least, although I think the problem with it was if, if they had not pre-taped the first hour and made the fans sit there for an hour watching a screen of wrestling to then go into it, at that point, the crowd's kind of irritated. That's, uh, so that's not a bad point. They were, they, I don't think they were as into it as if they had had a full show buildup to get to it. Like we mentioned all the great war game matches in NXT. Well, there's three or four matches before it that they now had to top. And so that crowd or that audience was super into it at that point. That crowd just felt like they were pissed off when the match started and just wait for something cool to happen so they can get excited about it. So, you know, maybe they should have held it off for, for a pay-per-view and you could have had done the entire show to get to it or a full episode of Dynamite, a full live episode of Dynamite to keep that crowd building up to get to that match. So again, uh, visually speaking, I thought it was a career-defined moment from MJF, blood on the top of the cage, all that good stuff. Uh, I thought it was a breakthrough performance for Sammy Guevara. I thought he was uh, probably the standout star from all 10 in the match. Uh, second to that, I would say Sean Spears, who I've always been a big fan of back to his days as Ty Dillinger. Uh, and then third thing on this, Dr. Trey, the penitentiary where from Inner Circle, I thought was extremely lame. Yeah. Like, at what point do we think any of those... And by the way, when you saw Ortiz and Santana come on their face paint, did you not think Gorillas of Destiny? I did, yes. that was. I was like, why, why are we ripping off G.O.D. right now? But, you know, in the penitentiary stuff, it's like, all right, cool, I guess because you're thinking you're getting locked up or something. I mean, I, I, to me, it just didn't make a lot of sense. I'm like, all right, you're... It just, it just didn't fit that group. It doesn't fit them and who we've seen them be for the last year and a half. Um... By the way, I thought Sammy looked great. Um, I really liked the Chargers. I thought Wardlow, other than the spot where, for some reason, Jake Hager tried to run at him and Wardlow tried to pick him up while getting attacked at the same time, I thought outside of that moment, I thought Wardlow looked really strong as well. So um, the young guys in this match, I think, really made more waves than anything else. I thought FTR just looked like they're just hanging out. You know, True. We're going to hang out the cage. We're going to fight. We're going to bleed to make everybody else look good. I and mean, maybe that's the, that was the plan. And they did their part. But I thought you know the younger guys in that match really took it. You know, really took some chances to to kind of stand out, knowing that Jericho and MJF is the featured part of that match. Yeah, and I also think the uh, Kenny Omega and, and Miro stuff before the match just was very awkward. Like. I thought we were ready to kick it off once 9 p.m. East rolled around for the second hour of AEW Dynamite, and it went on for like another 15 minutes of these just awkward pre-match interviews with Kenny Omega, Orange Cassidy, and Miro. Like the Omega, Orange Cassidy uh, interview went on like two to three minutes too long, I thought. Like, I I don't know if they were buying time for some reason, Um, which I thought hurt the match. Like, give these guys a full 60 minutes. I, I, I don't know what they were doing. It was, it was strange. It yeah, was, by the way, it was I, strange. I thought, you, I thought you always hyped up how good Kenny Omega was in promos because that was got Did that I? Was bad. Well, Did I? Talk about like, the greatest wrestlers and sports entertainers. You always put Kenny up there, and I well, in promos. I always hear people say how great Kenny is in promos, and I'm like, every time I've heard a Kenny Omega promo, I'm just like, he he's average. I best. I like Kenny in the ring. I if I don't. I sound like a politician now. I, I don't I don't remember ever saying anything about his promos. 
I, I think at times he comes off a bit awkward. Um, I think Heel Omega can come off very awkward at times and, and strange. Um, I've dug this edition of Kenny Omega, but in-ring-wise, I, I think he is like the best in-ring performer. I mean, this goes back to our ongoing discussion really for this entire year thus far where we look at like Roman Reigns versus Kenny Omega. We feel like it's that two-horse race currently for Wrestler of the Year award. I would say Roman is the best well-rounded top star right now, and that's got to drive people bananas to even say that. But when you look at like Roman's promos right now versus Kenny Omega, it's not even close. Like Omega is more like on the Bobby Lashley level. Yeah, Kenny, and as I said, same thing. So Kenny, like Bobby, he needs that guy out there, like whether it's Callis or, or MVP. Oh yeah, to kind of help guide him where he needs to go this promo and kind of cut him off when he's going a little bit long. And the whole, by the way, so is like I haven't been as in depth into AEW the last few weeks. Is this Michael Nakazawa? What's his name again? Michael Nakazawa. 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 Um, is that been his gimmick for a few weeks? Is that is that a thing now? I didn't know that him being yeah. the, the belt holder was a thing. Yeah, I um, I don't watch being the elite, um, unfortunately, and I think a lot of that stuff with him and Brandon Cutler right now dates back to those web shows and these characters that they're portraying on AEW Dynamite right now. They're kind of like the lackeys and the goons of the elite uh, squad of the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega, but I think that is showcased more on being an elite each week. So I, I really can't comment on that. I like Nakazawa. I liked like when he was doing the the baby oil stuff in the beginning of AEW and then he just basically disappeared, probably resting on, on AEW Dark, which is another show I unfortunately don't watch. Um if if you're a listener of the podcast and you've been watching Being the Elite, let us know if this is like something that's been carrying over on, on BTE over the last couple of weeks. But Again, if you're not following that and you're a regular watcher of AW Dynamite, like Dr. Trey and I are, uh, kind of can be a little bit confusing as, as to how this character directional change uh, took place. Uh, speaking of that belt holder, Michael Nakazawa, the current Impact Wrestling World Champion as well, Kenny Omega, uh, we've been talking at length that we felt like the Impact AW relationship hasn't been working and we may be proven wrong about that because according to Wrestling Inc., Rebellion was reportedly the most successful Impact pay-per-view in several years. Uh, it appears to have been, according to the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, uh, based on early data, it's estimated that Rebellion drew around 9,300 TV pay-per-views as early in the week. There is no data to make an estimation on streaming numbers, uh, but it's believed to be around a larger number that the uh, 9,300 that the TV pay-per-view drew. Uh, actual buys from streaming providers are not available yet, um, but it looks like that this is the biggest pay-per-view since Anthem purchased the company from Dixie Carter's group in January 2017. Um, it was noted that numbers from one major provider shows that Rebellion did almost two times what the Hard to Kill pay-per-view did back in January, plus nine times the buys paid buys of Bound for Glory last October. So the question asked here, Dr. Trey, does that make us wrong about this partnership between AW Impact Wrestling if Rebellion was reportedly the most successful Impact pay-per-view in several years? Does it make us wrong in the short term? Probably, because numbers don't lie. Um, does it make us wrong in the long term? I, I, I still don't think it does yet, because 
what outside of hey we we just drew some buy rates what did the show actually accomplish for impact if you know when AEW and them go their separate ways like have they built anybody up did they build anybody new stars did they do anything to kind of create fan interest in the actual impact product and not the AEW crossover appeal that's who I think we're still waiting to find out what the final answer is so Hey, congratulations. You, you, you popped a big number. That's that's the old wrestling shotgun angles that we always talk about. That's great. But I, I just still haven't seen what the benefit for the Impact TV brand product is with this AEW crossover. Yeah, and as we speak right now, Impact Wrestling's uh, this week's edition of the show is airing on Access Television. So we'll have to keep an eye on it. Uh, I do know, going back to the Nakazawa Omega segment from aw dynamite last week last night nakazawa wearing the impact world title uh or wearing the tna title holding the impact world title uh bully ray uh thought that was extremely disrespectful to impact wrestling um during last night's edition of aw dynamite well, where do you stand on that dr trey because you have kenny omega coming out he is carrying the aw world title nakazawa his lackey his goon is carrying the triple uh, a mega championship the Impact World Title and the TNA World Heavyweight Championship. Do you find that disrespectful to Impact Wrestling the way that they uh, showcased that and presented it on AW Dynamite last night? No, it's it's no different than you know a manager holding somebody else's belt. I mean, we really like in, in, for Bully Ray to say that kind of it makes it funny because I'm really thinking, how many times do we see somebody hold multiple titles across multiple promotions? Like is I didn't know there was a protocol in place on how to do that. I mean, we used to, we go back to the, the, the great picture of Ultimo Dragon holding like ten titles at one time, but I would also see Sonny Ono holding some of those belts when he would come to the ring. I don't see how that's any more disrespectful than those instances back in the you know the late nineties, early two thousand. But did you know uh, what those titles who what those titles were when it was it like uh, was it the J Cup that he was holding then? Yeah, it was like there was a, but there, I mean, there was a, I think the WCW light heavyweight title or cruiserweight title the, was one of those belts too. It was the time. WWF's title was supposed to be part of that as well. Yeah. So, I mean, no, did I know every title? No, but does an AEW fan know who Triple A, what the Triple A, you know, Triple A title looks like? Hell, the TNA title apparently still isn't even actually a real title. <laughs> you know, it's like that yeah. one was retired like years ago. So, it, to me, it, it's just you know somebody wanting to complain for the sake of complaining. I mean, if he had just, I mean, if he had worn the Impact title and the AEW title, and Nakazawa held the AAA and the TNA title, is it is it just the Impact title? Is it the other three titles? Like, where do you draw a line? How does Kenny walk out with four titles strapped around him, and we can hear an average promo? See, to me, I felt like um, I do feel like there is a small touch of disrespect. Um, to me, I feel like it's being presented almost like the FTW title is. And I do think that if you're in a partnership with another company that, it, you know, put a little respect on the Impact Wrestling, TNA, World Title, Unified Championship, whatever they're calling it right now, his name, because it does have great lineage. I mean, AAA, at least from an American standpoint, we don't really know what the lineage of AAA's Mega Championship is. But for the last near 20 years... We do know the lineage of the Impact and TNA World Heavyweight Championship. So I, I don't, th- it, it's almost like he's carrying the NWA World title in a way. Like, I, I do think that there should be some sort of respect on that. 
Yeah, but at the same time, has AEW on AEW television really shown impact any respect no. at all? No. So, None. in a sense, maybe this is more storyline, like they're treating it like a secondary title because it's a secondary company, the way they're booking this storyline out. Do you think it's storyline or do you think it's the way that AEW is truly presenting AEW? Because I think it's the way that AEW is presenting Impact Wrestling. I don't think it's storyline. Well, I mean... To me, I looked at it like, hey, we're on the AEW show, so Kenny's wearing the AEW belt. Um, I missed last week's episode of Impact. Um, so did Kenny wear both belts back then, or was he featuring the Impact title more than the AEW? Like, the whole, that whole episode was just based on he wasn't there, he had to show up in a private yeah. jet. I don't recall he was wearing the championships. So to me, to me, I think it's more the way they're presenting this angle that AEW is a superior brand, obviously, because Kenny's now the champion of the other companies as well. So that makes AEW the top and everything else is subsidiary to it. So I think that's kind of the presentation angle they were going for more than anything else. So this is this is interesting because like going back to the, the way that when the show began, right? Like TNA at that point, Impact Wrestling was kind of uh, a joke and a laughing stock. And I would say outside of these little glimmer of amazing moments that kind of rode true, for the 2010s, I hate to say it, but I would say in the last two, three years, since Anthem really took over, Scott Demore, Don Callis has been running the ship. Impact Wrestling has had some serious respect on its name where it's like a brand that's starting to elevate back up. It's on the upswing. And for me, if I haven't watched Impact Wrestling in a long time, but I tune in AEW, I still have this negative feelings towards TNA and Impact Wrestling, Dr. Trey. So when I see the championship being displayed the way it is, I still look at it as Impact Wrestling and TNA being like this third-rate wrestling brand and not something that should be on a similar or close to level as AEW is right now. And I, I think it's – I don't think it's if, – if I was just someone that watched AEW and did not want to impact, watch Impact Wrestling, I don't think I would be watching Impact Wrestling right now. Yeah, and, and that's, that's when we go back to the whole is the partnership a success, you know, or is it not? And, you know, that's, that's what I'm kind of saying. Like in the short term – it hasn't been because you haven't done anything to help elevate the impact brand with this partnership. But if there's a long-term slow burn angle in place to have impact elevate itself out of this, then Kenny has to present himself in AEW as better than anything else impact has to offer until that storyline plays out. So, you know, I, I this to me, I, 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 I'm always, anything on TV is a work. Anything on TV is storyline driven. So that's I, I just that, I just go back to that old adage, and that's kind of how I think. It's all the presentation of Kenny just being better than anything AEW or Impact has to offer. Therefore, Impact's kind of a secondary title, like almost like Nakazawa could be the Impact champion if he really wanted to be, because Impact's so bad. All right, Dr. Drake, keeping with AEW here, uh, they made a big announcement yesterday on Busted Open Radio on SiriusXM um, that the Double or Nothing pay-per-view is set to run at full capacity, 100%, from Daly's Place in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, the capacity there is 5,500 people, so it's like nowhere near WrestleMania, but you'll have uh, humans right next to one another in an open-air arena on a national wrestling promotion show for the first time since the pandemic began. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, you're a guy who's been working professional wrestling, independent, independent wrestling, 
right now in Alabama, and you've had people in the crowds. I don't know if you've been at full capacity for the shows that you've been running at, Dr. Trey, uh, but certainly it's it's still a little bit different to see full capacity for a lot of things. UFC just ran full capacity, 15,000 people in Jacksonville, Florida. So it looks like AW Double or Nothing will be the first wrestling show to be at full capacity, uh, beating out WWE, which is just a weird turf war to have to begin with during a health crisis. Um, but what are your thoughts about this? Is this too early? Is it just right? Is it too late by AEW? Do you think this is the right move to go full capacity for their first uh, for their pay per view at the end of this month? Double or nothing. I mean, given oh, let's see, this to me kind of comes off as one of those like state versus state issues. You know, Florida's kind of gone. Hey, we're going to open back up, much like you know the Rangers in Texas are playing in front of full stadiums and then there's some backlash against that, but it kind of comes down to the people, you know, if, if, you know, I have the opportunity to go to a wrestling show and I, and I feel safe and secure, they, they tell me, Hey, we're going to be at full capacity. So there's no social distancing. If, if the people that go there feel safe to go, let them, let them do it. I mean, we just had the, the races at the Talladega raceway. And I think they had, that was the largest single outdoor gathering since the pandemic started. And it was up around 50, 70,000 people there for that. So if, if the fans in attendance feel safe and going, I, I don't see what the issue is. Um, you know, for them, it's, it's, it's personal choice at that point. Yeah. That seems to be uh, the direction right now is I think we're getting to the point where the risk is based on the person. I mean, there's vaccine here in the United States available to anybody over the age of 16, if you're someone that wants to get vaccinated, go get it. If you're someone that doesn't want to get vaccinated, yet you want to attend a professional wrestling event in Jacksonville, Florida at the end of the month for that's full capacity, the risk is on you at this point. So I agree with you, Dr. Trey. I think you uh, you hit it on the head. It, it certainly is is weird to see a wrestling promotion start to dip their toe in that full capacity. But if I'm WWE, I'm relieved to see that it's AEW because – the onus of uh, mistakes won't that finger won't be pointed at WWE if they run a full capacity show. So I think this is the beginning of the floodgates, Doctor Trey. I think with AW Double or Nothing, I think it's only a matter of time before we start seeing this happen now at uh, WWE shows coming up here as well. Yeah, and you know we have Rocket City Wrestling Con Four coming up May fifteenth. Um, you know, and our capacity is around five hundred people, so. You know, we're expecting, I mean, we're, we're not limiting our audience. The the Alabama Athletic Commission has kind of signed off on it that at this point, as long as uh, everybody's been licensed and passed their own COVID tests, then, you know, the fan, it's up to the fan's choice if they want to attend the show. So uh, we're expecting probably close to 400, 500 people coming up on the 15th. So it, it kind of comes down to personal freedom and personal choices. And I think that's a great step in the right direction for the country and, you know, the funny thing to me is, you know, WB letting AEW take the risk first. But I'll tell you right now, if if they run full capacity and there's no blowback or, or nothing comes out of it, you know, as a, you know, pan, you know, as a health issue coming out of double or nothing, they're going to jump in and do 20,000 right away. Yeah, no, you're, you're going to see it. I mean, I think uh, everybody's very tiptoey right now with a lot of things. I think we're in this weird time frame of this pandemic here in the United States where uh, it's starting to get safer. There is a level of protection. We want to start getting back to normal. We don't necessarily know when it is okay to get back to normal. And ultimately, I think things like AW Double or Nothing going full capacity is a way to gauge that. Because if you see that uh, Double or Nothing, like Dr. Trey said, uh, happens and there's no issues, 
um, you're going to keep seeing it rolling to more of a positive rate where uh, it's going to be a refreshing welcome back to normal here, at least in the United States. I know other areas are unfortunately dealing with the uh, issue a little bit worse, but um, so did we several months ago. So hopefully this is the beginning of the end here and the turn of the corner. We'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. And this month, AW Double or Nothing, full capacity, 5,500 from Daly's Place in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, Dr. Trey, the last topic I want to bring up here right now is just kind of a, a fun topic of what our favorite things are right now in professional wrestling at this time. Coming out of WrestleMania, it's it's always like a, a refreshing time period for wrestling as a whole. You're coming out of the, the drundums of, of the winter, and we're heading into the summer months, new characters, new storylines, new everything taking place before our eyes. Uh, for me, I have three things that I'm enjoying the most right now in professional wrestling. Uh, it's just a couple weeks old, but this formation of RK Bro has Team Hell No vibes right now with Riddle and Randy Orton. I think there's been really good uh, Strange Bedfellows chemistry between those two. If you're a longtime listener to the podcast, you know I'm a fan of that stuff. Um, the Young Bucks' new attitude and style I've really enjoyed, and I've really, really enjoyed the growth of Darby Allen um, since December when Sting came aboard. Like You're just getting this vibe that Darby Allen is starting to catch lightning in a bottle and, and there's something special there for AEW, which he may be their best homegrown talent. There's definitely like a three, three person race between he orange Cassie and MJF at multiple times, but I'm really digging the growth of Darby Allen. So for me, Dr. Troy right now, my three favorite things are just favorite things in general about professional wrestling. Currently the formation of RK bro, the young bucks, new attitude and style and the growth of Darby Allen. What say you? Um, RK bro. Because uh, it's, uh, I love that uh, the the Corey Graves keeps waiting for Randy to turn on Riddle, and it hasn't happened yet. Um, the contrast and personalities is so good, and it, it, you're right, it does give off like Team Hell No vibes. Um, selfishly, I'm enjoying the push of Cesaro to you know main event level on SmackDown. I think that's great for him. Um, and then um, Darby's great. I, I love his build out of this whole thing, and then also on NXT. The Cameron Grimes million dollar man Ted DiBiase stuff the last couple of weeks has been just hilarious and fun, and this kind of gives you like that, like you know, <clears throat> the millionaire who welcomes like the white trash millionaires of the country club type gimmick. I, I that's I'm finding that really funny as well. Yeah, he's been very good, and I, you know who's been really good lately has been Austin Theory as well from an NXT standpoint. Are you yeah, digging his think- stuff with the way? Yeah, and, and even the stuff with, with Indy and Dexter Loomis I'm enjoying as well. True. So um, the way might be my favorite stable in wrestling right now. I think just everything they do is kind of fun. Not silly, but just fun and just enjoyable on every level. Like the in-ring work stuff is great. The, the, the match they had with Shotzi and Ember, you know, Tuesday night was great. You know, and they got all these merging angles and everything else in there. And, and Theory kind of playing like the – the dumb guy kind of fits his look right now. Kind of early young. I don't want to say like John Cena in the sense of he's going to be the biggest star in the world in the history of wrestling, but just like the early kind of dumb heel John Cena that we got. I think Theory's kind of playing that that role in this whole thing with the way right now. All right, uh, feel free to chime in at SRTU Podcast. Some of your favorite things going on in professional wrestling right now. Uh, with that being said, let's close up shop on this week's edition of SRTU. Let's get a couple plugs and sponsors out of the way. You can download the show every Thursday at thebarrowshow.com, WrestleChatNet on Twitter, and the Still Realto Show iTunes feed. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to help us climb the charts on iTunes. 
You can follow us individually on Twitter for myself at SRTU Jeff and for Dr. Trey Franklin at the Dr. Trey. And of course, don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at SRTU Podcast. With that being said, what is going on in the wonderful world of Dr. Trey Franklin this week? Well, like Jeff said, you can follow me on Twitter at the Dr. Trey. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram, Dr. Trey Franklin. Uh, when you're on Facebook, be sure to check out Rocket City Championship Wrestling as we are just a week and a half out, nine days out from Rocket City Wrestling Con 4. Uh, cards subject to change. <laughs> and, and so what we've had to do is jump into a little bit of the deck. We lost uh, Larry D from Impact Wrestling because Impact's taping that same day as, as Wrestling Con. Uh, and we lost C.W. Anderson due to work. His, his, his real-life job got in the way. But we've adapted, and we survived, and we found some replacements that are fantastic. Mil Muertos from Lucha Underground and MLW is going to be coming in. And the ageless wonder that was featured last year on Impact Wrestling, Mike Jackson, 70 years old, and still walking around. Had a great match with Johnny Swinger back on Impact. He's stepping up. Plus, we got stars from AEW, Impact Wrestling, MLW also throughout the show. So really looking forward to it. Um, as I get to be the GM and the host of Wrestling Con 4 this year, so a little bit of a change that I get to be the nice guy uh, for the first time in the four-year history of uh, Wrestling Con. So go out there, support all the great things that support the Still Real Just Show, and tell your friends to download, rate, review, and subscribe each and every week here on the Still Real Just Show. So episode number 586 is in the books. Until next Thursday, for Dr. Trey Franklin, I'm Jeff Peck. This is the Still Real Just Show. Would you rather have wireless on the most reliable network nationwide or unlimited with 5G for $30 a month per line? You don't have to choose with Xfinity Mobile. Wireless so good it keeps one-upping itself. Most reliable based on Root's metric U.S. report. Results vary, not an endorsement. $30 per month per line when you get four lines. Seven iconic housewives from four different cities. Look at this water. We're going to give them something to talk about. Vacation at Turks and Caicos. The party now. The Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip. All episodes streaming now. Only on Peacock.